0: I'd like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And there is a Bible app event for this if you'd like to follow along on your cell phone. uh, Many people find that helpful, and you're welcome to do so. Speaking of cell phones, how about that social media thing, huh? (laughs) Social media, I I think it is probably one of the most fascinating phenomenons for people who are in a psychiatry or psychology field or sociologists, it's just got to be, it, it has really changed our world. It has. If you look back to before there was social media and now, you can see there are great changes in our society. And it's really affected all of us. I want you to do some math with me today. I know that Mr. Tubbs here, who does not teach mathematics, has told me before he feels that math is some kind of voodoo. Voodoo, yeah, I understand that, buddy. I understand that. But help me out here. Think, think with me here. I counted. And there are 320 million people in these United States of America. Okay, I didn't count. I found it online at the census site. 329 million people in the United States of America. And those are broken down by age so that under the age of 12, so these are people up to 11 years of age, there are 50 million of them. So let's subtract them out because they're not allowed to be on Facebook, even if some of them are on social media. So let's just pull them out. So we'll take the 329, we'll take 50 million off of that. We're gonna round it to about 280 million people eligible to be on social media here in the United States of America. In 2019, of that 280 million, 247 were on social media. 247 million. Now I know you're doing the math so quickly, your brain's just going, you know that's 88%. So let's just round that 90% of people in the United States of America are on social media. How many of you are on some kind of social media? Put your hands up. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably about 90%. One in 10 of us is not on social media. Social media must be the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> You're laughing, right? It must be the coolest thing in the world to be on social media. I mean, everybody's on it, right? It must just be great. Hmm. Not so much. And that's not just me talking. That's not just the people that chuckled who were talking. It's not even the people who are sitting there smugly saying, I'm not on it. It's not even them, right? <laughs> no, no. scholars say that. Over and over and over again, you hear that social media causes a number of undesirable outcomes in our life. Here's a list of some of them. Depression. Anxiety. Anxiety? I can't tell you how many people in the past five years have said, I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm going to go to my doctor. He'll give me a pill. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying seven years ago, I never heard that sentence. Depression. Anxiety. Loneliness. Fear. Envy. Anger. In fact, a study done by the University of Pennsylvania just over a year ago indicated that by distancing yourself you don't even have to quit <laughs> but by distancing yourself from social media you will increasing i'm sorry you will significantly decrease the amount of here's their two words anxiety and fear that you feel by distancing yourself from social media i think that's true i got to tell you if i spend a lot of time on social media i just feel bleh emotionally I feel like I have the blues. It's really not a question of whether social media is good for you or bad for you. I mean, leave that to the scholars. Leave it to yourself, figure it out. In fact, this isn't even a sermon about you should get off of social media. I don't preach those kind of sermons, right? What I want to do is I want to get you to think about the question of why. Why does social media do this to us? Why these negative effects associated with Social media, why these consequences? And there are a lot of reasons why. I mean, you could write a book on the why of how many reasons there are that, does, does, that social media does this to it. I want to suggest just one of them, and I want to talk about that today. And that one is the word envy. Envy. Do you see the sign, the screen, rather? See that girl there? She's in Indonesia. She looks kind of cute. I like those glasses she has. She reminds me of my wife. Just a couple years ago. It's not my wife. But yeah. Can you read a sign that she's having and reading and holding there? Do you read it? It says, I'm here, you not. (laughs) Now, I'm smart enough to know that that's a tourist site. It's a waterfall in Indonesia. And the person that wrote that, English is probably not their first language. (laughs) I'm here, you not. And they put that in tourists' hands, evidently, I'm assuming this, and I think it's a pretty logical assumption, they put that in tourists' hands so they can hold it up and say, nanny, nanny, poo-poo, <laughs> look at me, I'm here, you not. And you know that social media is full with of those kind of posts, right? I mean, you'd have to be blind not to see the life is good social media posts. Look, even though there's a storm on a beach, life is good, and... uh yeah, that happens all the time. We're talking about lids. We're talking about lids that keep you from being who God wants you to be, that hold you down. We talked about this lid of nearsightedness, that you don't really look to the future and think about, what where do you want to be in three years, spiritually speaking? How well do you want to know God in five years? How well do you want to know Scripture in five years? Where do you want to be as a human being in 15 years? The lid of nearsightedness keeps you from addressing that issue. And then we talked about the lid of rear-sightedness. And that is a lid that's always looking back to the good old days. Back to the good old days. Going for a ride with a guy uh, on a four-wheeler side-by-side recently, and he and I talked about the good old days, you know. And as I was thinking, I thought, wow, I am really using that lid of rear-sightedness right now as I'm thinking back about this. This week, I want to talk to you about a third lid. And that lid is the lid of covetousness. The lid of covetousness. I want to know this. I want to know, how many of you know who... Is there anyone here that doesn't know who Paul Newman was? Put your hand up. I don't know Paul Newman. Okay, that's your assignment, the five of you. Pretend it's you and, and about a dozen little five-year-olds, okay? <laughs> just saying, just saying, okay? Paul Newman was an actor. Uh, he died here probably a decade or so ago. He was a real uh, heartthrob, and in 1963, Paul Newman was in a movie called Hud. I don't know if any of you saw the movie HUD. I'd heard about the movie HUD on a record by Bill Crosby. Remember the Noah, build the ark thing that Bill Cosby did? Well, he also did a, a thing about the movie HUD that was kind of funny. We've got hoof and mouth disease. What's hoof and mouth disease? See a foam on your mouth? Yeah, that's hoof and mouth disease. Where are they taking us? They're taking us to shoot us. Why are they going to shoot us? Because you got hoof and mouth disease. Is there anything I can do? Yeah, wipe that foam off your mouth. That was Bill Crosby, right? Doing the hoof and mouth disease thing, right? Okay. He was talking about this movie, HUD. It's actually, it's kind of a classic film. Um, if you're going to be studying film, you really ought not go through the 60s and avoid this film because it really speaks about what the 60s were. It's the story of an older, hardworking Texas rancher. He's on the right there. And he has a conflict with his 30-year-old son, who is a selfish, fist-fighting, Beer drinking, whiskey guzzling, adulterous, arrogant, cheating, charismatic womanizer named Hud. The movie begins with Hud's nephew coming to get him because there's an emergency on the farm and Hud is with another man's wife in another man's house in the other man's bed. That is him. That is who Hud is. In that movie, about midway through the movie... HUD's father, again, he's on the right there. He kinda just lays it out verbally for HUD. I'm not gonna quote him because he uses a word that I don't use in the pulpit. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna reword it, okay? He says this. You don't care about people, HUD. You don't give a rip about people. Right there, I edited it. Did you catch that? Oh, you got all that charm going for you. And it makes the youngsters want to be like you. And that's a shame because you don't value nothing. You don't respect nothing. You keep no check on your appetites at all. You live just for yourself. And that makes you not fit to live with. Now, I watched that movie years ago and then I watched it this week because I thought of it when I was thinking of this lid of covetousness. Because that was one of HUD's big problems. Hud had a lot of lids in his life, but the one that he had is he wanted whatever belonged to somebody else. He wanted what didn't belong to him, and that's a covetous heart to desire that which belongs to someone else. And he took what didn't belong to him, and that's covetousness in action. And he was miserable because of it. And that is the outcome of covetousness in lifestyle. That is what it does. And the film ends. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Plug your ears if you're going to go home and watch it. The film ends... Thanks, buddy. He's plugging his ears. (laughs) That's great. The film ends with Hud all alone. Completely alone. Sitting there alone beneath his lids. The lid of covetousness. It prevents a person like Hud from ever realizing who he can become in Christ. Covetousness is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the Tenth Commandment, by the way. The Tenth Commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's house or covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And you know what coveting is. It is desiring, an inordinate desire, to possess what belongs to another. That word desire is interchangeable in Hebrew language with covenant. I want that. I want his. I want hers. I want those. And it's selfish. It threatens others. And it's sin. And you see it in the Bible all the time. I don't know uh, about your Bible experience, if you've read the Bible, if you've been around the Bible. I know a number of you probably know it better than I. Others of you maybe not. But let me just give you a couple stories from the Bible. There's a king. His name is David. He's got everything that you could want. He's a king for crying out loud. He happens to be on top of his palace. It's the evening. You know, he has a flat roof on his palace. And he happens to look over into the neighbor's backyard. They have the walls, you know, and he looks down. And there's a woman, her name is Bathsheba, and she is in. She's taking a bath. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) Kind of makes you lose the whole point, Pastor Steve. Don't do that again. He looks down and he sees a beautiful woman and she's bathing there in her backyard. She, uh, I would assume, I, I would assume that she feels like the walls are up. Who can see me? There's no airplanes there, you know, back in the day. But there's a king with a covetous heart. He sees another man's wife and he takes her. You know how the story ends? He becomes not just an adulterer, but a murderer to cover his tracks. Covetousness. There's another story. It's a story of a, A guy named Ahab who wanted a vineyard owned by a fellow named Naboth. If you're looking for names for your kids, Naboth would be a good one. I kind of like that name. Naboth has a good piece of real estate. It was given to him as part of the allotment of the land by God himself. And Ahab says, I'd like that. And he says, I can't give it to you. It would be a violation of the law for me to do that. And Ahab goes to his evil wife Jezebel. And the two of them plot to have Naboth killed. So he gets a vineyard covetousness. Ahab becomes a murderer and eventually loses his own life. And then there's this couple who show up later on in the New Testament. Jesus has already gone to the cross by this time, and he's already ascended into heaven. And so the church is born. And in the church, they're sharing things together like, Hey, I hear you don't have a car. I got an extra car. You know what? You can just have it. And there's that sense of love and they're bringing in their money. They sell what they have and they give it to one another. They're helping each other out a whole lot there in, a, in, a, in the first century in the early church. And there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they covet the attention and notoriety that others are getting by giving. And so they lie. And it ends up with the two of them dead on the floor. Right there. Covetousness, it's a bad thing. Now your Bible's open to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start reading at verse 9. I hope you can read along with me. We're going to go the whole way to verse 24. Please follow along as I read these words. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was something great, and the people, high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there and that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands my hands may may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said, and listen to the strength of this rebuke. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, pray pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. That's covetousness. Simon It's a good example of it. And you know that because you know what covetousness looks like. It just, it looks self-centered. And for that reason, it looks kind of ugly. Envy is the color of green. And it's fine if you happen to have a green tie on, a green sports shirt, a green suit, a green dress, green slacks. You can have any kind of green on, but you don't want to have a green skin. You're looking kind of green around the gills there, buddy. That's not a complimentary statement generally, right? Right? We understand that self-centeredness is ugly. And yet, we all do it. Real God, real life, real people. Let me tell you a real Steve Shield story, okay? This, I know this never happened to any of you. One time, I was with my kids. They were very small. And we were with another group, another group of parents who I respected. And I really wanted to have their, their um, approval in my life, right? And our kids were all playing together. And one of my kids, and this happened multiple times. So it could have been either of my kids. One of my kids wouldn't share the toys with the other kids. Do you ever see a kid do that? Like I'm hoarding the toys. All the toys are coming to me. You, you can't have that. I'm getting that toy. You know. And I can remember. Yeah, you know, John's putting his hand up because he's seen his dad do it. <laughs> just kidding, John. Just kidding. Let me keep going, buddy. Okay. I can remember sitting there, right, and 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 I was just embarrassed by it, right? Huh, I can't believe my child's doing this. So awful. And so you know what I did? I went down and said, you share that toy right now. We share at home. How come you're behaving this way? It's so unusual for you to behave this way. I am going to take you out of the room and beat the tar out of you if you don't share that toy now. Right? That was me. Real God, real life, real people, real pastor. Right? And I know you never felt that way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, when you felt that way, if you felt that way, that baby wasn't the only one that was coveting. You were. You were coveting the approval of those individuals. You were covering the image that you wanted to maintain. You were coveting their respect. you were coveting a position that says, hey, I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. And it was ugly. And it was ugly. Coveting looks self-centered. Second, coveting looks misguided. This might seem kind of strange to you, but covetous hearts are always looking for the wrong thing. And you saw that in Simon, right? It's fascinating to me that Simon did not ask to be filled with the Spirit. Simon asked for the ability to fill other people with the Spirit. And that's one of the reasons, I think, that the rebuke is so strong. (laughs) May your money perish with you. You thought you could buy the grace of God. With money, you don't even understand the grace of God. You have no part in this. Repent of this wickedness. huge lesson here. Huge lesson here. When it comes to power in the kingdom of God, it's never for you. It's never for you. I can't think of an incident, and there is none. Where in the book of Acts, somebody laid hands on someone else so that they would receive benefit. It's always so that someone else would receive benefit. I'm laying hands on this individual because I want them to be. We laid hands on Jim Hand when he retired this morning from a Sunday school class, brought a group of men in, we put our hands on him, and said, God bless this man. It wasn't so we would receive benefit, it was so he would receive benefit. And that's the way the kingdom of God is supposed to behave. But a covetous heart just doesn't get that at all because it's so misguided about what's important. In fact, a covenant heart is downright gullible. By the way, did you know the word gullible is not in a dictionary? Go look that up this afternoon. No extra charge for that. If you look it up, you got to tell me whether it was there or not, okay? Somebody did that to me once I looked it up. It's there. I was so gullible, I looked it up. I'd like to say I was 12 when that happened, but I was about 40. Covetousness looks gullible because it is pursuing a fool's prize. It's pursuing fool's gold. You know, when I think of David or anyone who has coveted another person's wife or any woman that has coveted another person's husband, I just want to say this sentence, was she worth it? Was he worth it? I know what David would say. No. He lost his son as an outcome of that. Or I think of Naboth, I want to say to Ahab, was it worth it? Was that vineyard worth his life and the judgment of God? No, no. Or Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> I'd like to be able to look at them and say, was that worth it? But they're dead. They were they were struck dead that moment. Not worth it. I think that all of them believed something that Randy Bachman once said in Bachman Turner Overdrive. How many of you ever heard of Bachman Turner Overdrive? You listen to that? Anybody listen to that? yeah. You know, the early service, they were afraid to admit it because, you know, they weren't allowed to listen to rock back in the day, right? But I could tell they had. There was a song they had. It was one of the lesser well-known songs of Bachman Turner Overdrive when he said, I'm looking out for number one. And that's me. I'm looking out for number one. Can I be on the worship team, please, Drew? (laughs) I'm looking out for myself because that is the right thing to do, and that's the happy thing to do. How naive! How childish! How gullible! It's just foolishness to think that you will find happiness by walking on the back of someone else. Never happens. Never happens. What a pathetic lid. So here's a question. A question you might have. Pastor Steve, I can see this is bad, but how in the world is this actually a lid? How does covetousness fit with the whole lid idea? Well... It's a lid because when you are covetous, when you are envying, when you are jealous, when you are desiring that which does not belong to you, you are making your own happiness your objective in life. I know, it's a Declaration of Independence. Last time I said it was Constitution, but I checked. It's a Declaration of Independence that says the pursuit of happiness is what we're all about. Yeah. Listen to this. Intentionally pursuing happiness creates a short circuit so that you never find happiness. That's worth repeating. Intentionally making happiness your objective in life creates a short circuit so that it is impossible for you to find happiness. Simon was all about finding happiness, finding power, finding what made him good. He was all about the me thing. I mean, when you look at his life in, in verse 9, he boasted that he was something great. That's all about me and my happiness, Simon says. Then you can look again in verse 19 where he says, give me this power so that I can lay my hands on people and they'll be filled with the Spirit. And that's all about him. That's all about him and his happiness. He's looking out for number one. Pray for me so that nothing will happen to me that you have said, he says in verse 24. And that's all about him. He's looking out for number one. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard people say it. You will not find happiness by looking for it. It's, it's odd, but it's true. A few years ago, there was a report from the University of Colorado. And in that report, they said that really the people who find happiness are the people who look for meaning in their life. The report read like this. Listen, new research has revealed that people who look for happiness are unlikely to find it. Really? That's new? I guess to some people it would be, right? But it's hardly new, actually. Because in the most important book that was ever written the Bible... You were never taught to pursue your own happiness. You were taught to pursue peace. You were taught to seek God. You were taught to follow after his kingdom. You are taught to love others as yourself. You're actually taught to consider others better than yourself. You're taught not to covet. It's a paradox <laughs> that when you pursue your own happiness, you put a lid on the very thing that you want the most, your own happiness. Covetousness. It's a lid. It's a lid because it makes you seek the wrong things. And that's exactly what Simon was doing. He was seeking to be able to bestow the Holy Spirit rather than to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No wonder. You know, there were some amazing manifestations that took place. There were a lot of miracles happening in those days. It says so regarding Philip. And then when people were filled with the Spirit, sometimes they would speak in tongues. It doesn't say they did that here, but they would. And sometimes there would be other fascinating phenomenon. There would be uh, suddenly a person whose life was always a train wreck is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I would like to be able to put my hands on somebody and that would happen to them. That's a pretty cool thing. Can I do that? Simon didn't ask, though, that that would happen to himself. asked for the wrong thing. He asked that he could do that. But most tragically, this lid of covetousness makes you blind, makes you blind to the grace of God. Did you notice that Peter says, to Simon, he he says to them, you think you can use your money to buy the gift of God? And I didn't check it, but I'm guessing that that word gift is charis, which means grace. <laughs> you can't use your money to do that. God gives it as a gift by grace. But covetous people are never about grace. They're not like, I'm just going to trust that God will give me that which I need. They're like, I'm going to make it happen. I am going to force it to happen. I'm going to move things, and I'm going to manipulate, and I'm going to connive, and I'm going to figure out how to happen. And when they're doing that, that makes them blind to the grace of God. They don't appreciate the grace of God, and even they struggle to experience the grace of God. And let me tell you something. If you have an inability to experience God's goodness in your life, that is a crushing lid on you. A crushing lid on you. So let's talk about how to remove it. Let's talk about how do I get rid of this lid? Pastor Steve, you know, I kind of see this as a problem and maybe I have it. What do you got for me? Give me the trick. You got a trick for me, Pastor Steve? I don't. Here's what I got. I got the cross. Just like all the other lids, the way to remove this is to come to the cross of Christ and surrender yourself and say, I've been doing it wrong and I need you to help me do it right. I've been doing it wrong. And maybe one of the hardest things you'll do, it's very difficult to do, and I believe you can only do it by the presence of the Holy Spirit working in you, is to just stop comparing. Just stop comparing. There's a guy who writes one of the most amazing pieces of literature that you'll ever find. It's a poem. It's Psalm 73 in the Bible. am not going to read it to you. I'm going to tell you about it. He opens up the words of Psalm 73, and he says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, I almost slipped, I nearly lost my foothold. So you get what he's saying, right? He's saying, I know God is a good God, but I had a little i had a little stumble along the way. In fact, I almost lost my foothold. And then he goes on to explain why. The very next sentence he says this, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Who here has not walked in those footsteps? I mean, I want to know. Who here has never looked at someone else and said, you know, they're not living as good a life as me before God, and God's treating them better than he's treating me. That's just not right. Buddy, if you haven't had that experience yet, it's a coming. It's a coming, right? Yeah. We have this tendency to compare and you saw that you heard the opening words he said he said i almost fell because of my comparison my tendency to do that and later he says i was senseless i was like a brute i was like a beast like an animal and it's just not healthy so if you want to remove this later you're going to have to go to the cross you're going to have to kneel there and you're going to, have to say god help me stop comparing help me stop comparing my life with other people's life My family with other people's family. My kids with other people's kids. My spouse, oh God forbid, with another man or another woman's spouse. Let me just stop that. And he will help you. You cannot do it on your own. But he will help you. And as you stop comparing, then begin celebrating. Celebrate what you have. And again, that's what the guy who wrote Psalm 73 did. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How do you celebrate? What do you celebrate? What do you have to celebrate? Yeah, you know, I think about Ed and Margaret. You know, Ed comes home from the nursing home on Friday, Saturday morning, 6.30. He's got four men there picking him up to get him back into his seat because that was this morning because he's so weak. Sitting there, going over my sermon. You know, I preach my sermon out loud before I ever come here on Sunday mornings, right? Some sitting there and preaching my sermon out loud, and my phone's buzzing in my pocket. Six thirty in the morning on a Sunday—that's not a good sound. I pick it up and I say, "Hello, it's Margaret, Pastor Steve." Ed's legs gave out on him. We can't get him off the floor. We have two guys here. We have a fireman. We have Mike here. We can't pick him up. We can't get him off the floor. Can you come and help? And I'm thinking, you're picking the weakest guy. You know? Okay, I'm coming. And then I run into Brian Warren and I go down and I, I get down there. Brian and me and the two other guys are there and we picked him up and put him in a chair. What is a guy that just got home from the nursing home and then had to have the pastor and three other guys put him in his chair? What does he have to be thankful for? What does he have to celebrate? A lot. A lot, and he knows it. Buddy, when I left, he looked at me, we prayed together. He looked at me and he said, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you could come. Brian, I'm so thankful. Mike, Margaret's like, we are so blessed to have the neighbors we have. In a church family we have. You see what they're doing? Covetousness would say, I wish I was as healthy as Reverend Shields because I think that boy could run a marathon. (laughs) Never. Never. Right? Covetousness would leave him on the floor spiritually thinking, even though he's in a chair now physically. But when he stops comparing and he begins to celebrate the good things in life, That removes a lid. It removes a lid. Honestly, (laughs) the best way to get that lid spinning, did you ever spin a lid off of a jar of mayonnaise or something? You spun it so fast it went across the kitchen floor. Did you ever do that? No? Man, I've had that happen to me a lot of times. I'm probably stronger than you are. Comparing. There, I just did it, right? I'm just being silly. I'm trying to keep you awake. I'm trying to keep you awake. Here's the third one. Do you see it? Make loving God and loving others your chief desire. That's the problem with covetousness. You have made something your chief desire that should not be your chief desire. And if you want to be out from under that lid, then make God your chief desire. Jesus, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, I'll give you two of them. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the big one. Those are the things to do. The most important thing to love and to desire is God. Not your possessions. Not really well-behaved children. Not your position at work. Not your ministry that you have. Not your family. The most important thing for you to desire is God. And when you make Him the focal point of your heart and your desire, then you're not bothered because someone else has a better car than you. And it doesn't it doesn't come into your mind like a hailstorm that you need to compare your your job to someone else's. You don't worry about someone else's ministries being appreciated. They put Mr. Hand's picture up there, but they never put mine. That doesn't even cross your mind. Because God is the object of your desire, and others loving them is what you want to do. And you're free of a lid of covetousness. So do you have this lid? Is it something you struggle with? Before you answer that question, let me ask you three other questions. If your coworker gets a promotion that you feel that you might have deserved, do you respond by throwing a party or throwing a tantrum? (laughs) Don't answer out loud. Let me ask you another question. Your neighbor... Pulls in with new wheels that are a lot nicer than yours. Do you go out to greet him and say, wow, I'm glad you got this, or do you just pull the curtains so you don't have to look at it? (laughs) How about this one, buddy? I'll tell you what, if you're a parent of a young child, this one might get you. It got me real bad. When your child doesn't get the part in the play that you felt that he or she deserved, what then? Do you pray that your child will fulfill the role that they have and fulfill it well? Or do you pray that that other child would come down with laryngitis? (laughs) Listen, I want you to be free of this lid. So does God. He doesn't want you to be a miserable coveter of that that which is not yours. He wants you to just stop comparing. And you can do that by the power of the Spirit living in you. And he wants you to begin to celebrate, to walk over to that guy that by your human nature, by your sinful nature, you would want to just ignore him because he got a better motorcycle than you. That's the way Tim Smae's felt about me for years. <laughs> <laughs> Tim just gave me the thumbs up. <laughs> you you want to be the guy that instead goes over and says, man, I love your motorcycle. I'm so glad that you could get that. Uh yeah, I hope you enjoy it a lot. That's who you want to be. You want to celebrate even what doesn't belong to you. What belongs to another, you want to celebrate that they have it. Now you're free from that covetousness. You want to make God and loving him and loving others the center focus of your life more than anything else. You want to show love and honor to God. If that's your prayer this morning, then I'd like to pray with you in that regard. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. I really love that sign. I'm here, you not. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. I don't want to be that girl, though. You know, Kind of like the sunglasses she has, but I don't want to be her. I want to be someone who's free from the lit of covetousness. Don't you? Let's ask God to make it so. Shall we bow our hearts? So, Father in heaven, as we bow our hearts before you, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would work in us. We are here to surrender to you. There's no quick fix to being rid of a covetous heart. It is really a matter of dying to ourselves. Dying to our covetousness. And we have seen the evil of the covetous heart. We have seen it in in a movie from 1963. We see it in your word. We see it in the 10th commandment. And it almost seems as though that's the zenith, like the crescendo of the Ten Commandments, because all those other things, stealing and lying and adultery, they all spring from a covetous heart. We want that lid spun off of the top of us. Skip across the the, uh, kitchen floor the whole way under the refrigerator so we can't get it ever again. So we would ask you, Holy Spirit, help us stop comparing our lives to that of others. And help us to celebrate what you have given us and what you have given others. And turn our hearts so that love for you and love for others is our chief desire. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.